We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Hey, Hoops fans. Don't just watch all the NBA playoffs action. Be a part of it with FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, all new customers get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. Just place any bet on the NBA playoffs, and if you don't win, you'll get up to 1000 bucks back in site credit. The app is easy and safe to use. You get your winnings fast, and there's tons of betting options. My favorite bet from the first round is I think the Sixers are going to lose to the Toronto Raptors. I think it's going to get ugly for James Harden in particular. Download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook app, today using promo code JASONT and place your risk-free first bet for a chance to take home a W on basketball's biggest stage. Remember to use promo code JASONT for this amazing offer. 21 plus and present in select states only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Dial 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Dial 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Dial 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Tennessee redline is 1-800-889-9789. In Wyoming, dial 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. We're breaking down the play-in tournament. I'm going to make my picks and talk about the games that I find to be most interesting, starting with the Nets at home hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, one thing that we have heard coming down the pipeline is that the Cavs are pessimistic about whether or not Jared Allen will be able to play in the game. When he's working out, he seems to only be using his left hand He's downgraded from a really stiff brace to wearing some tape, but it doesn't seem to be working. So it looks like Jared Allen's not going to play. And that's an issue because in a game like this, you have two teams with extremely different styles. Like No one expects 
the Cavs and Darius Garland to be in, in like Karis Levert to be able to out execute offensively the likes of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. That's completely unrealistic, but they have massive advantages that they bring to the table, especially on the, uh, on, in the paint. Um, their ability with their size, with Laurie Markkinen at small forward, with Evan Mobley at the four, and with Jared Allen at the five, gives them the ability to hold opponents with those three on the floor to 102 points per 100 possessions, specifically only 41.5 points per 100 possessions in the paint which would lead the league to give you an idea as just some perspective, the Miami heat in totality lead the league in paint points allowed at 42.4. So when they have their guys, they're a dominant interior defense. They're a team that would give the Brooklyn Nets a ton of problems on the interior. Another thing that's so important about Jared Allen is his ability to punish switches. Part of what made Jared Allen suddenly not necessarily worth his full contract, but way less of an issue at that big of a salary number is he can do what Rudy Gobert can't. When he switches onto a smaller defender and you dump the ball into him in, in the post, he is capable of consistently punishing those types of mismatches. So I would certainly give the Cavs a better chance if they had Jared Allen because they would have a big advantage that they can bring to the table. But without Jared Allen, and it looks like he's not going to play, I have a Nets team that has Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, a significantly better set of perimeter initiators, and, a, and going up against Darius Garland and Karis LeVert, and I think they're just in over their heads in a lot of different ways there. I expect the Nets to pack the paint and take away as many of those driving opportunities and dump-off lob opportunities as they can in the Cavs' pick-and-roll and force guys to knock down shots. And I just don't think that they'll be able to score anywhere near consistently enough. Another big thing, let's say that they go Evan Mobley. Let's say the Cavs go Evan Mobley at center, which I expect them to do for the most part during the game. And they funnel everything into that and expect Evan Mobley to control the paint. Like I've always said, that has a lot more impact on guys, stars in particular, that are obsessively trying to drive to the basket. And that's not the way Kyrie and KD play. Kyrie and KD are at their most comfortable when they're operating in the, mis- in, in the mid-range, in single coverage, making a move against a defender to get to a pull-up jump shot. Those are their bread and butter plays for those two guys. The Cavs are not a good perimeter defense team. Darius Garland's not a great perimeter defender. Laurie Markkinen's got length and size, and he can play some good positional defense from time to time, but he's not a guy that's great at containing in dribble drive scenarios. So I expect to see a lot of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant just getting to their spots and knocking down shots. Also, This Cavs team relies entirely on Darius Garland for everything that they do offensively. This year, they are 10.6 points better on offense with Garland on the floor than with him off. That's something that the Nets will be able to game plan around to make up for their limited defense just by devoting all their attention to that screen and roll action and forcing guys to make shots on the back end. Cavs also not a great road team this year. They were only 19 and 22 One last little interesting note on this game. There's a question to be asked about whether or not Brooklyn would be best served losing. Now, you guys know how I feel about that kind of stuff. I'm a big believer in don't toy with the basketball gods. Play the game the way it's supposed to be played. And if you are the best team, things will work out for you. I've always been 
a big believer in that sort of thing, so I would not recommend the losing. But if you are a Nets fan and they happen to lose to the Cavs tomorrow, the advantage there is getting the one, uh, getting the eight seed and going to play Miami in the first round. I know for a fact the Nets are going to be favored in that series and be the team. The they may not be favored, but I will be picking the Nets for sure to beat the Miami Heat. I do not believe in the Miami Heat's offense. I, I believe that the Brooklyn Nets will pick them apart. I saw that happen the last time they played each other. The Nets went into Miami and utterly destroyed them. So I would pick the Nets in that series. Nets-Boston, that's a little more of a toss-up. With, that, with Rob Williams in the picture, I would absolutely be picking Boston. Without Rob Williams, it's closer that takes away, like I said, one of those interior advantages that you can bring against Brooklyn. But I like that. I, 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 it's an interesting conundrum because if they do what they're supposed to do and they beat Cleveland tomorrow, they will face a significantly tougher first round opponent than if they lose that game and try to make things work against in the second playing game to play against Miami. So that would be an interesting conundrum. I expect them to win and go up against Boston. That's more of a coin flip series. Once we get the final results of the playing game, there's no games on Thursday, and I will do a breakdown of what I expect in those first round series. But let's move on to Atlanta and Charlotte. So I like Charlotte better in a vacuum as a basketball team. They, over the last 15 games of the season, were 11-4, and four, which was tied for the best record in basketball. Obviously convoluted a little bit by the fact that so many of the best teams in the league were resting key players in preparation for the playoff run, but still nothing to slouch at. They were second in offense over that span, which is not a surprise. They're a up-tempo, high-paced high team. LaMelo Ball is one of the best. Uh, uh, I know he's young. I know he's inconsistent. I know he has iffy shot selection sometimes. He's not a great defensive player, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but he's already one of the best high pick and roll playmakers that we have in the league. I love Terry Rozier's game. I talked about this a little bit the other day when we were talking about potential Russell Westbrook swaps. Very good polish in the mid-range, very dynamic score from the perimeter. And then the, one of the most interesting elements of this team and their future is Miles Bridges. Uh, he kind of coming out of college was this freak athlete. I kind of saw him as more of like a undersized version of John Collins, a guy you'd use as a vertical spacing threat and like screen and roll actions and maybe some defensive assignments that he'd be able to use his athleticism in. But he's legitimately turned himself into a really good offensive wing player. And the result has been, like I said, the second best offense in the league over the last 15 games. I like Charlotte individually in this matchup. The tricky thing is home court. The Hawks have massively underachieved this year. Very disappointing after what was a very impressive run to the conference finals last year. But this year, they're 27 and 14 at home. When you factor in a single game elimination format, how raucous that environment's going to be, it makes it a lot more complicated uh, it, it makes it a lot more complicated than I would have originally thought. Now, the interesting element here is both teams have really bad defensive backcourts. So everyone thinks of Trey Young being a limited defensive player. And obviously, Lou Williams, if from all the way back when he was with the Clippers, has been attacked by really good teams as, as frequently as they can when he's on the defensive end of the floor. But the same problem exists for Charlotte. They play Isaiah Thomas as their backup point guard now. That's a re- that's arguably the worst defensive player in the entire NBA. And then LaMelo Ball. 
I do believe one day he'll become a decent defender in a switching scheme. He's a little too tall and slender to successfully chase guys over the top of screens. He's too easy to screen. So I think his defensive potential is in more of a switching scheme. That said, he right now doesn't have anywhere near the attention to detail on that on the end of the floor to be a productive player, gets back cut on all the time, misses help responsibilities often, and then he can give up a lot of dribble penetration at the point of attack. So what you have is two backcourts. Obviously, they're staggered in a lot of different ways, but at any given moment, both teams have a really, really bad perimeter defender on the floor. So so much is going to come out, come down to those two guards, Trey Young and LaMelo Ball, are going to be really comfortable for most of that game, and it's going to be come down to which guy has the best game. My gut tells me that Atlanta could win at home off the strength of their home crowd, but I'm picking Charlotte by a hair because I believe they're a better basketball team that's playing a little bit better as of late, and I think that's going to carry them. All right, let's move on to the Wolves and the Clippers. This one is a really tough matchup for me to gauge based on what happened in the regular season. Not a lot of data there from their individual matchups that's usable. They played three times in November and the Clippers won all three games, but that's November. Both teams are monumentally different at this point, especially the Timberwolves. They've been one of the better teams in the league over the course of the last couple of months. And then in January, the two teams played in the Wolves, had a convincing win, but a lot of important players from the Clippers were missing, including Paul George, Luke Kennard, Marcus Morris, and a bunch of others. So not much you could take away on that front. The interesting wrinkle here is Minnesota is at home. They're 26-15 and 15 at home this season. I've talked about this a lot on the show. They are super athletic. Everyone thinks of Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell, but they've got a bunch of athleticism on the wings, and those guys feed off of the energy of that crowd, which carries them on the defensive end of the floor. The, the Where this game teeters towards the Clippers, in my opinion, and the reason why I'm picking the Clippers, is one, the Clippers know exactly who they are in this type of setting. The Clippers have a bunch of huge road playoff wins, even with this core, even just with Paul George. Them going on the road to beat Phoenix in Game 5 last year. Them going on the road to beat the Jazz last year in Game 5. A lot of big playoff wins with that group. They're going to be comfortable in Minnesota in that environment. They're not going to be scared away at all. And then, like I've talked about nonstop, I don't trust the Wolves' guards to make good decisions enough. The Clippers are going to do a lot of switching, especially on the perimeter. They'll do drop coverages when they have their traditional centers on the floor, but you're going to see a lot of switching on the perimeter. And there's going to be a lot of moments where it's going to be Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell having to make decisions against a very good Clippers defense. And I trust Reggie Jackson and Paul George to out-execute them in that sort of setting. So interesting matchup on some levels. Home court makes it a wrinkle. Carl Anthony Towns is a huge matchup problem. If Carl Anthony Towns goes for 40 and 17, yeah, that could swing it. It's certainly close. All of these matchups that we're talking today are close, except for maybe Brooklyn, Cleveland. But I'm leaning towards the Clippers because of their playoff experience, their modern approach to the game, and I think their primary decision makers are better and more reliable in this setting. Last but not least, the Pelicans and the Spurs. Not going to talk too much about this one. I don't find this matchup particularly interesting. 
two very young teams with two interesting stars kind of leading the way in Brandon Ingram and DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray killed the Spurs the last time, or killed the Pelicans the last time these two teams played when both teams were at full strength, which is shortly after the trade on February 12th. CJ McCollum played really well in that game as well. He's going to be that weird veteran presence in that game that's going to be the most comfortable. I'm leaning towards the Pelicans because of home court, but this one's a coin flip to me between two really young, talented teams that are kind of just excited to be there. And so it'll be an interesting wrinkle. I would lean towards the home court in an environment like this where Spurs team is super young on the road. So I have the Nets over the Cavs, the Hornets over the Hawks. That means that the Hornets and the Cavs will be playing for the eight seed. I'm going to pick the Hornets there as well. Once again, Jarrett Allen being out, I just consider to be too big of a, of a, of a, of a, of a obstacle for the Cavs to overcome. I'm a huge believer in this Cavs core and what they can do going forward. But with Jarrett Allen being out, I just don't think they can get it done. So I've got the Nets getting the seven seed and the Hornets getting the eight seed. Out West, Clippers over the Wolves, Pels over the Spurs. That means the Wolves will host the Pelicans for the eight seed, and I would absolutely pick the Pelicans, or excuse me, pick the Wolves in that game at home. I think one of the Pelicans' biggest strengths is all of their length and athleticism on the wings. We talked about this a lot in their matchups with the Clippers, and the Wolves are just athletic enough and young enough at those positions to match that effort, especially at home. And then it's going to come down to Carl Anthony Towns trying uh, uh, just trying to overpower that thin interior from the uh, the Pelicans and I like them in that matchup. So that's going to end up in my opinion with the Nets at the 7th seed in the East and the Hornets as the 8th seed and out west with the Clippers as the 7th seed and with the Timberwolves as the 8th seed. If you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. On a summer night in Paris, American artist Lee Krasner is drifting off to sleep when the phone rings. On the line, news that her husband, Jackson, is dead. Jackson, as in the painter Jackson Pollock. He might, to this day, be the most mythologized figure in American art. But how much of the story that we've been told about him is just that, a myth? On Death of an Artist, season two, Krasner and Pollock, the story about how the art world changed forever, and the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting. Just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I wanted to talk for just a few minutes 
about the Lakers because obviously, as is always the case with that particular franchise, it's all drama. Uh, But in this case, it's drama that actually is impacting, in my opinion, the end of the season for the NBA. It's impacting who's holding the trophy because not often do you have a brand as big as the Lakers with players as good as LeBron James and Anthony Davis effectively kept out of the running because of the fact that there's so much going on above them that is actively disrupting what they're trying to accomplish on the court. So I wanted to hit on three quick things that were reported over the course of the last few days that I think are beyond discouraging if you're a Laker fan and you're thinking about how this team can be turned around next year. So first of all is a report from Adrian Wojnarowski that he gave on ESPN last night, and he specifically came out and said that the Lakers are expecting to be patient with their coaching search, wait until after this postseason, and to see if there's any coach that ends up getting let go from one of these playoff teams to see if there's a better option for them before they make that decision. But he also mentioned a couple of very specific things. He directly implied that the coaching pool, the the coaches who would potentially consider the job, are concerned about one, how much money and years they would be willing to offer, and two, whether or not there would be uh, interference or micromanagement from those coming above. He specifically mentioned that many coaching uh, coaches that would be potentially considering the job would never in a million years consider it because of what he said was the front office sitting in on coaches' meetings and trying to basically micromanage them, which is, we already knew that. We saw a report earlier this year that Kurt Rambis was going in on Frank Vogel and telling him things like, you need to play more DeAndre Jordan and so on and so forth. I did a video yesterday, you can see it on my on my Twitter feed, where I very briefly was just venting about how discouraging it was that Frank Vogel, even though he did deserve to be fired, that the Lakers botched it the way that they did and let that report get out. Now, I've, I, a lot of people, you know, anytime a report comes out, you immediately have to start playing the game. Who, who stands to gain the most by doing this? Who... Uh, this reporter, are they someone that would report like a source of a source or are they going to report only like a very strong source? Well, it came from Adrian Wojnarowski and Adrian Wojnarowski is only going to report something if he gets it directly from the front office. He doesn't mess around with a source of a source and things along those lines. Someone who might not know for sure. That's just his stature in the business. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that it's coming from the, the front office. Also, They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. This is not a really well-run team where if something weird happens, you can go, "Eh, well, maybe there's some explanation for it. No, that's not the case here. The Lakers botched this. They reported that Frank was fired before even telling Frank. That's remarkably unprofessional. Then, the next day, they sent all their players out to meet the media for a season-ending press conference without telling any of them or or without uh, resolving the situation with Frank and basically throwing them out there to have to answer those types of questions open-ended without any sort of uh, of resolution from the front office. That's just incredibly incompetent. They are, I said this yesterday, they're a laughing stock. And people pay attention to this. We had a report come out from Brad Turner that uh, uh, that Quinn Snyder of the Jazz was less, less interested in the job because of the way they treated Frank Vogel. And then we have this report from Adrian Wojnarowski that they're worried about Kurt Rambis getting involved. They're worried about Jeannie Buss being cheap with the offer that they make. And they have every right to feel that way. Now, that doesn't mean it's very possible that the Laker brand 
and the prospect of coaching LeBron and Anthony Davis still brings a quality candidate to the table, and I sincerely hope that is the case. However, they are doing damage in that regard. You're, they, If the Lakers get that guy, the right guy, it will be in spite of the fact that the higher-ups of the Lakers are actively sabotaging the team, and that's a problem. The other thing I wanted to quick talk about was LeBron. Sam Amick of The Athletic reported that LeBron would be very satisfied if Mark Jackson became the next head coach of the Lakers. Now, Mark Jackson, to me, falls into that category. I talked about, I did a video about which coach the Lakers should go after the other day, and I gave you guys a kind of a spectrum, right? There's the young, ambitious, super smart guy, and then there's like the old, established, kind of lazy because he's already had some success, but commands the respect of the star players around the league, right? Well, Mark Jackson and Doc Rivers are very much on that side, whereas like you're uh, uh, over on this side, you got your like your Kenny Atkinsons, your your young, successful, ambitious coaches that maybe a star player wouldn't listen to. The Lakers have to find something in the middle there. The two guys that I threw out were like Mike D'Antoni and Quinn Snyder. We're not going to get into that again, but this suggestion from LeBron from Mark Jackson is one of the worst possible suggestions. I was terrified when I read that report because. Mark Jackson is not the guy that is going to orient the Lakers offense the way it needs to be oriented. Never forget that the Warriors offense completely took off after getting rid of Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson also has a giant ego. He, there's, uh, We don't have to get into it, but there's a bunch of reports about him. He's kind of a weird guy in a lot of different ways. I understand that he would command some respect from the likes of LeBron and AD. I just don't think he's capable in strictly in the terms of basketball coaching to be the right guy to get that franchise on track. So I was deeply concerned by that. And last, on the Lakers front, Russell Westbrook. I said many times on the show this year that if there was one silver lining in all of this with Russ, that this this season was so humiliating for him that maybe, just maybe, it could be the thing that humbled him into making some wholesale changes. Kind of like what happened to Carmelo Anthony when he was kicked out of the uh, kicked off the Rockets and out of the league for a little while, it, it it humbled Carmelo Anthony into embracing a smaller bench role as a guy that would be more of a spot up shooter and an occasional matchup attacker and more uh, emphasis on the defensive end rather than what he had been doing before that, which was very old fashioned Carmelo, give me the ball, get out of my way. I was hoping that would happen for us, but everything that we heard from that press conference yesterday screams, nope, he hasn't learned anything. He specifically, when he was asked about LeBron James and Anthony Davis letting Russ be Russ, he was like, yeah, no, they, they didn't actually do that. Then he talked about how he thought Frank Vogel had a problem with him. And then he came out and said that he never felt like he was really given a fair chance this season. And it screams to something that I've been talking about with Russ all season, which is the lack of personal accountability. The inability to look at what's happening and be willing to accept the fact that maybe, just maybe, you share some responsibility for the way things have gone. I released another video yesterday. You can find it on my Twitter feed where I laid out some very specific stats involving just how bad Russ was in areas that have nothing to do with the coaching staff or the players he was playing around. He missed more uh, shots in the restricted area, so layups. He missed more layups than anybody in the NBA this year by a country mile. There were 78 players that attempted at least 150 shots in the paint outside of the restricted area. So basically, any shot in the paint that's not a layup. So push shots, floaters, short jump shots, anything along those lines, longer layups, all that kind of stuff. 
he only made 34% of those out of 100. And he attempted like, uh, 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 I can't remember exactly what it was, but almost two, I think it was 190, okay? So he only made 34% of them. The only player in the entire NBA out of that 78 uh, player list that was worse was RJ Barrett. So that goes to what I've always been talking about. Russ has absolutely none of the short game that NBA guards have these days. He can't make a floater. He can't stop short and pull up. He can't make scoop shots and other crafty finishes around the basket. Every single one of his peers can. How can you blame that on Frank Vogel? How can you blame that on your basketball situation that strictly your skill set is not at a competent NBA level anymore? He attempted 189 wide open threes this year. Wide open, meaning defender was at least six feet away and he only made 60 of them. That means that you are probably the worst wide open jump shooter in the NBA at at volume. That's on you, man. That's not on Frank. That's not on LeBron. That's not on Anthony Davis. And so, again, I've said this a million times. I can't wait for this whole thing to be over, and I believe it will be very soon. Here in the next couple of months, Russ will no longer be a Laker, and we can all pretend this whole thing never happened or try our best to move on. But what I had said earlier this season, that I thought that maybe, just maybe, Russ could learn a lesson from this year and translate it into something that could transition him into being a productive role player in the future. The guy to watch is Drew Holiday. That could be you, man. A power guard who plays in a tertiary role alongside two stars, who embraces all of the dirty work, the defensive responsibilities, the rebounding, every little detail involved in winning basketball games. That could be you, and you could be winning a championship one day in a key role. But no. Because you never blame anybody, you never blame yourself, you blame everybody around you for everything that has happened to you, and as a result, you're one of the least skilled guards in the NBA, who's no longer athletic enough to finish around the basket, and it's causing you serious problems, man. You gotta wake up. I don't know what else to tell you, man. But, I mean, to put a bow on this whole thing, we're not going to talk Lakers for a while. We're getting into the NBA postseason now. This was just a reaction to their exit interviews yesterday, and the reason why I talked to Lakers is... They're one of the biggest brands in basketball. This season has been an all-time catastrophe. One will remember for a very long time. And, you know, I've covered the Lakers for the last two years. And I'm just going to be an authentic basketball fan. So in this case, it's going to result in me talking about the Lakers a good amount. All right, guys, that's all I have on the Lakers. As always, I appreciate your support. And I'll see you guys next time. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. You may know Jackson Pollock, the painter famous for his iconic drip paintings. 
But what do you know about his wife, artist Lee Krasner? On Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock, the story of the artist who reset the market for American abstract painting, just maybe not the one you're thinking of. Listen to Death of an Artist, Krasner and Pollock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.